Today's reading is Luke chapter 8. I hope you're persevering in this New Testament challenge, and I hope you are benefiting from it. God has promised that His Word will never return void without accomplishing that for which He has purposed it. So I am confident that if you are persevering in this New Testament challenge, you are benefiting from it. But today we're in Luke chapter 8, and in this chapter Jesus continues teaching and performing acts of incredible power and authority, a theme that is continually repeated, very repetitive in Luke's gospel. So let's think about divine power. We have drawn attention to this point in previous chapters, so we won't dwell on it long here, uh, but it, it, as it tends to be a repeated theme, like I just said, in, in chapter after chapter, that, that's a good sign to us from the Holy Spirit who inspired the scriptures that it is a point of which we need constantly to be reminded. This is most clearly seen in his remarkable power and authority over the wind and waves, verses 23 through 25. This is another claim not only of the power of Jesus, but the divine power of Jesus. How so? Well, consider the testimony of Psalm 107, where we read in Psalm 107, verses 29 through 30, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Stilling the storm and hushing the sea are the work of God alone, an ability possessed equally by the Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples ponder when they see this power and ask, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Verse 25. Luke leaves this question unanswered in this account, but it is a deafening silence. The whole Bible is screaming in response to this exhibition of power, the same words of Thomas when he saw the resurrected Jesus, my Lord and my God. Well, let's think about hearing and doing. Hearing and doing. In verse 21, Jesus returns briefly to a common theme, one that he addressed at length during uh, Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter 6. Here in Luke 8, 21, uh, Jesus makes this statement. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Isn't it interesting that this statement comes right before three separate accounts of wind and water obeying the word of the Lord, demons obeying the word of the Lord, and sickness and death obeying the word of the Lord. As all else in creation obeys the word of the Lord, we have the same responsibility. Hence, Jesus says that those who belong to him and are part of the family of God are not merely those who hear the word of God and believe it, though that is certainly necessary, but ultimately those who are a part of the family of God are those who hear the word of God and do it. Verse 21. This was certainly uh, an extended emphasis on the Sermon on the Mount a couple of chapters back in chapter 6. Jesus talked about the foolish man who hears his word and does not do them, Luke six forty nine, as opposed to the wise man who hears his word and does do them, Luke six forty seven. Just before that, Jesus had given the illustration of a good tree bearing fruit, good fruit, and a bad tree bearing bad fruit, Luke six forty three through forty five, and combined those things with his telling of the parable of the sower in chapter eight, and his point is that when a person really and truly has ears to hear the gospel, Luke eight eight 
they are inwardly changed, inevitably producing the fruit of outward obedience. Perfectly? No, but yes, a trajectory of obedience. It's not as if we hear the Word of God and do it in order to be saved, but rather we hear the Word of God and do it because we are saved. Our obedience is the fruit, not the root of our salvation. But as Martin Luther supposedly famously said, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. In other words, we are not saved by faith and works, but the faith that saves works. Let's think finally about conversion and conversation. Conversion and conversation. One last note I would draw your attention to is akin to the previous point. After Jesus heals the demon-possessed man, he tells him, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you, Luke 8, 39. Well, how did the man respond? We read in the same verse, And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. I read this, and I sort of lament at my own failure very often to declare what the Lord has done for me as zealously as that man did that day. And I hope that when you read that, perhaps you have the same lament. The prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. In a similar fashion, Peter and John were arrested in the book of Acts chapter 4 and instructed in that chapter not to speak any more of Jesus. To which they replied, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And I think, what does our silence say about us? Have we really considered what the Lord has done for us? That man for whom Jesus cast out his demons knew in a very real way what Jesus had done for him and he wanted to tell it and he did tell it maybe we need to stop everything think long and hard about what Jesus has done for us and give him the proclamation and witness that he is due and that's a good exhortation from Luke chapter 8